lots and lots of spoilers. Welcome to this, our final episode in our Now Streaming in a Room Near You series. The final movement in this musical number of a show. The coda, if you will. And what do you know about that? The movie we're discussing this week is called Coda. What a dink! I'm going to have but a movement. Co- <laughs> but of course, this movie does not refer to the musical term, or does it? <laughs> Technically... The, t- the title refers to the acronym, which is the central theme of the movie, Child of Deaf Adults. That's what this film is about, and it seems to have done it fairly well because it's nominated for all the Oscars! Woo. Well, three of them. Oh. We'll talk about that later. Uh, in honor of this movie, I will be providing the American Sign Language translation simultaneously with our speech. I'm doing it right now. Max. Really, I am. Max. I know you can't see me, but trust me. <laughs> Totally doing it. We're audio only, Max. Flawless! Oh, that last gesture was uncalled for. Speaking of which, I am your deeply flawed host, Max Levine, (laughs) who has been lying to you about doing this episode in ASL. And over there is the equally flawed host, Mike Luce, who personally convinced me to lie to you, our lovely audience. He totally did. Bumpy kick him. (laughs) (laughs) Liar, liar. Bumpy the Wonder, Wonder Pony hates you. Then I have lived my life well. (laughs) But first, we have to get to our poll question. Poll question. So this week's poll question, do you prefer your science fiction all post-apocalyptic with mankind struggling to survive and rebuild, possibly with a dystopia or two thrown in? Or do you prefer the whole the stars my destination route with humanity making our way in the galaxy in shiny, shiny spaceships meeting aliens in very short skirts who ask, kiss, what is kiss? Show me kiss. Gully Foyle is my name? Something like that. <laughs> From Dave. Dave. We have, in movies, I'll take either. I care about the aesthetics, character, and story. I need characters I care about and a believable premise for the world they inhabit and the movie has to look good without allowing the effects to dominate at the expense of character or storyline. Well, la di frickin' da! <laughs> Is that <That's>... nice? <laughs> <laughs> that said, I don't like things to get too dark. There has to be something humane about the story, and sadism is rarely a good plot device. Beat me well, with your depend- sador stick. <laughs> <laughs> if they heap the darkness on with no point, I get turned off. Blade Runner was hard for me the first time I saw it because great aesthetics, but no character I could like. Mm, That's not entirely unfair. Mm. Uh, I find Philip K. Dick interesting and loved his book, The Exegesis, but most of his stories have too much human suffering in them to be enjoyable. He's not wrong. No. They are interesting and puzzling and mind-bending, but not so entertaining. Same problem with Man in the High Castle. Glad I watched it, but not bingeable because I never got the feeling I really wanted or needed to see the next episode. Okay. Hmm. Thanks, Dave. Yes. Richard Tatum, inventor of the Tatum. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Dif- what the hell you does that mean? It, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> says, really depends on the story. I love a good warning of how things might be if... But then one of the great appeals of Star Trek is that after all our idiocy, we finally learned and, and worked together to do something extraordinary. Yeah, that's a nice sentiment. But the crying. Uh, the crying. So, so much crying. Ugh. 
I'm sorry, that's uh, a discovery. And we, yeah, Max, next one, please. Yes. Val, please don't tell anyone I'm related to Mike Coons. You just did. He says, the great thing about the future is the possibilities are endless. I can enjoy a good dystopian film or one where we, are, we reach for other worlds. Not too big on overly bright and optimistic as it's a bit too far from human reality. <laughs> ain't, ain't, wow. ain't it just? <laughs> a little my favorite future. There. My favorite future films are the old ones where it's predicted that by the 1980s we're in jet cars and living in biodomes. Oh, and on the moon. Don't forget living on the moon. Wait, like with Polly Shore and that's optimism? <laughs> <laughs> Dan Schaefer writes... I think all movies of the future, or at least the vast majority, are fundamentally about hope. At the very least, they are premised on the idea that humanity will survive whatever nonsense is happening in our world and get to the future they show. When that future is apocalyptic and dystopian, the story is usually about humans striving to make things better on a large or small scale. When the future is utopian, it's generally about humans exploring and discovering. The big exception is horror films set in the future because... One common convention of horror films is that the big, bad, scary thing is rarely vanquished permanently. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Oh. I can't think of any movies in which humans are extinct, possibly some animated films, or all die out, but I... Well, AI. Yeah. But I suspect I would not like those very much. That was actually some really interesting points from Dan there. The whole hope thing is actually very key, because if we watch Mad Max and he never gets beyond Thunderdome, then <laughs> we're not interested, are we? <laughs> no. And, of course, and the post from the post-apocalyptic wasteland that is Canada, we have the snowman who says, I like the road warrior well enough, but in general I find post-apocalyptic stories repetitive and not too interesting. While I like more positive, explorative sci-fi, even though many times that isn't done any better than is a desolate future. Huh. I think it is more possibilities. Both scenarios lend themselves to the race of Superman against the race of wild people plot lines on the low-budget end of filmmaking, but on the higher end, a positive, harder sci-fi future just interests me more. Hmm. Cool. He's got a yeah. point about the budget, too. He, he really, he really kind of does. Planet of Dinosaurs, I'm looking right at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, don't. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Max? Which do you prefer? Do you have a preference? I kind of do. I like the exploratory ones a bit more. I, just because we've seen so many of these post-apocalyptic movies, and I'm kind of burned out on them. Yeah. I mean, it used to be they were distinctive, and it was like, wow, this makes you think. And now it's like, okay, the future sucks. Everyone's wearing feathers and leathers. Yeah, <laughs> we're. I get it. Fine. Yeah. What, what about you? Well, apparently... <laughs> The S and M people will rise above us all, and they shall be the new warlords of the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, that's all we ever get is it's football pads and leather jackets. Like, okay, yeah. I get it. Um, Bondage gear of the future. Radiation has made me a foe to all mankind. <laughs> um, yes, I know that's not the quote, but it's yeah, the one yeah. we've been using for the last forty years. So, too bad. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty tired of them too, partially because they're never like the take on it is never interesting. Right. It's always, oh, society blew up. So now it's just whoever's the strongest wins. Like that's all that's the that's where we always go. It's never, oh, there's little pockets of people that are trying to survive against radiation. And what they don't realize is that there's other pockets of people. And in oh, between, that, it's just movie, there are movies like that. Like what? Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters? 
Yeah, you know, it's a fairly recent one. It's oh, I haven't seen it. Well, but the idea is that they're working to try and get close together uh, as opposed to, well, we have to put all these cars together on the gas that we don't know why it's still there. And mm. goss, uh, you know, assless chaps are cool, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so I and I was always a Star Trek nerd and I really miss the ability because I honestly think that we're just too cynical as a people these days. I miss the ability to actually say, hey, you know what? We get past that. And what we're going to do is go out there and we're still not perfect, but we're a lot better than we used to be. And we're going to try and help other people too. Admittedly, in some cases, we're going to try and help them become Presbyterians just like we are, but <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cool. And thank you all. Those were great answers, really diverse and really intriguing. Yes, they were. And thank you. M many of them agreed with me. So they were obviously the best ones. Uh, but we have a brand new one for next week. Oh, sure. Like you didn't pay someone for that. <laughs> Just a little. Uh, in your experience, is there such a thing as a perfect movie musical? One with no bad songs at all. I mean, they all hit the mark. And I mean movie musical. I don't Stage shows don't count. It's okay if it's an adaptation of a stage show, but none of this, oh well, the, mus the stage show, it, it does this, but the movie does this. I'm talking about movie musicals. Okay. So if, if so, if the movie in question is an adaptation, it's fine as long as we're only it's talking fine. about the movie's version. Yes. Okay. Yes. No comparing to the actual stage shows. Okay. Now, trivia. <gasps> the show. So the budget for this movie was ten million dollars. Hmm. Is kind of for a movie chump change. After Coda was shown at Sundance, Apple bought the distribution rights for $25 million, which last year, anyway, was a record. Wow. Well, that means it already made back its money. <laughs> and then some. Uh, this, this year, as I said, it's nominated for three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actor. Oh, which actor? Troy, Troy Coetzer, the guy who played the father. Oh, okay. Uh very important. The writer and director, Sion Hader, is from Cambridge, Mass. She's also known for the series Orange is the New Black. Oh. Emilia Jones, who plays Ruby, spent nine months learning American Sign Language, taking singing lessons, and learning how to operate a fishing trawler. <laughs> hey. The, uh, because the fishing scenes involved real fishing, the cast and crew had to abide by local fishing rules. One day they actually had to bring an observer with them, kind of life-imitating art there, yeah. and they had to move one of the crew members from the boat set since they could only have a maximum of 10 people on the boat. Hmm. All of the on-set interpreters for ASL were CODAs. They were all hmm. children of deaf adults. Now, this movie is based on a French film called The Bel Air Family ah. from 2014. However, when this movie was released, it did not go over well in the deaf community at all because two of the main deaf characters were played by hearing actors. Oops. Yeah. A, uh, Rebecca Atkinson's Guardian op-ed said that La Famille Bellier is yet another cinematic insult to the deaf community. One deaf actress likened the casting of hearing actors as deaf characters to basically blackface. Sure. Did yeah. uh, this version get it right? Yes, they did. Oh, good. Uh, the All of the deaf members of the Rossi family are played by actors who are also deaf in real life. Marley Matlin, Tony Kotzer, and Daniel Durant. 
Marley Matlin, of course, Oscar winner Marley Matlin. What was the film? I should know this. Children of a Lesser God. Okay, yep. I knew it was a biggie. Yes. She also got the Oscar for being extremely hot. During the movie, <laughs> Ruby's father and brother are fined, are fined and have their fishing license revoked for operating a fishing boat without a hearing person on board ship. The Coast Guard, unfortunately, has a real history of imposing serious restraints on deaf boaters, although they tend to lose these court cases in court when they're challenged. Hmm. Especially with the passage of the Americans with Disability Act, any restrictions imposed on deaf fishing boaters must be reasonable and take into account current technology to assist the deaf and hard of hearing. Hmm. Doesn't always change anything. Mm. Wow, you're saying that there's laws in New England, of all places, that yeah, remain funny. restrictive? And, uh, oh, that's amazing. Hard to believe. <laughs> Remember, don't buy booze on Sundays. <laughs> when Ruby, it's, it's a little thing, but I, I think it's a nice touch. When she's at the end of the movie, when she's leaning out the car and she's giving the sign for I love you, she crosses her first two fingers, which is an intensifier for the sign, means I really love you. Oh, I thought... <laughs> I thought it meant just no. kidding. <laughs> no, because the, the single hand sign for I love you, which I'm showing Mike right now, yeah. which kind of looks like the heavy metal def devil horns if you keep your thumb stuck out. It's also one of uh, Dr. Strange's favorites. But Yes, <laughs> that is, I think, yeah, the hoary hosts of Hogarth or something. <laughs> it is uh, basically a, I don't know what you would call it, an alphabetic uh, amalgam. It's a combination of the ASL letters I, L, and Y. Oh. Uh, I love you. That's cool. And the crossed finger, the crossed first two fingers is the letter R. So that's the really. And it's not easy to do. <laughs> it's actually doing it with the crossed fingers is really hard. Yeah, I'm going to go to Spock on that one. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much what I came up in. There's some other stuff, but it'll sort of uh, work more into the plot. Okay. Speaking of uh, which, the mm -hmm. plot. Ruby Rossi is a child of deaf adults. This means she is a vital link to the hearing world for her parents and her big brother, Leo, as she works on the family fishing boat out of Gloucester Harbor. Excuse me, Gloucester Harbor. <laughs> a bit of an outcast at school, on a whim she joins the high school choir and discovers both a gift for and love of singing. Encouraged by her somewhat over-the-top choir teacher, Ruby dares to dream of following her love of singing all the way to Berklee College of Music in Boston. But is this dream even feasible? When her family needs her so badly for so many things, and more so than ever, as they are attempting to save their family fishing business by shifting to a new business model. Will this be an emotional journey of many feels? So, so many feels? Spoiler alert, yes it will. It will have all the feels. Mm. The lowdown. So, Max, how had you heard about this film? Uh, basically, I looked at the Oscar nominations. Oh, okay. And this is this is a biggie. Huh. It's up for three, and it was it's a considered sort of a front runner. Really, I'd have to check and see what the other films are for best picture because, of course, Max and my personal choice for at least best actor. Maybe I don't know about best picture, but best actor has still not been heard by the Academy, and Marshall yes. Ali is not nominated. Uh, that is a horrible crime. Just it saying. Is. And by the way, and Rowan, of course, the biggest overlook. Rogue Warfare 3. <laughs> yeah, right. I cannot believe, obviously, this is nothing but Academy politics. Well, I think it's because it actually came out in 2020, but that's okay. 
details of what was passed over then, and I have not gotten over the wound. Yeah, might help if you'd actually seen it. <laughs> details again. <laughs> the only one I know who's seen it is the snowman, but there the you go. The snowman, our, our noble northern compatriot who, has, who, who threw himself on the grenade that was Rogue <laughs> Warfare 3. Oh, it still is, and my yeah. guess is that we're we're not seeing the last of Rogue Uh <laughs> It's actually really hard to say Rogue Warfare. <laughs> rented lips. Yep. <laughs> Sink rented ships. Um, <laughs> so you saw the the ads for it, and, and it fit, yep. or not the ads, but the, the nominations for it, and it, uh, it fit our criteria for this particular. Yep. And, of course, choosing it as the last film just happens to work in with the word coda. coda. Yep. Okay, yeah. So like, we often start with the acting. Do you want to start there? Sure. Um, first, well, first of all, like I say, I have a real weakness for Marley Matlin. I think she is awesome. And she played I the mom. Her. She played the mom, uh, Jesse, I think. Yeah. And, uh, she is terrific in this. And I, I, I love the fact that her husband is always complaining, you know, at one point they are both diagnosed with, um, jock itch. Yeah. And the doctor says, you know, no sex for two weeks. So the father is like, well, Obviously, that can't happen. I mean, look at her. <laughs> look at how hot she is. I, I can't not. I, I, I can't not have sex with her. And to be, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I get that. <laughs> and that it's is, actually is, very nice because they are obviously very much in love with each other. The dad looks like a Gloucester fisherman or homeless person. Oh, does person. he ever? <laughs> um, and they. It is actually. There's one point where uh, the main character Ruby has her boy crush over and they're trying to rehearse for this duet they're oh, yeah. doing. And suddenly there's this noise and the clueless teen that is miles, the boyfriend goes, is that your mom? Is she okay? And poor Ruby yeah. is turning the color of her name because her yeah. parents in the middle of the day are um, shaking the floorboards as it were. Yeah. And they're having sex and because, and of course, why would they, they pay no attention to volume. Right. And they don't, they, they just don't realize she's home. And yeah. I think in a very funny, touching moment, the 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 daughter, Ruby's idea is, okay, Miles really needs to go. And Miles seems to think that this is probably not a bad idea. And the parents are like, no, 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 let's sit down and talk about this. <laughs> That's right. And he's trying, there's he, this, he, the father does this wonderful sequence where he's trying to make, he wants to make sure that they're using protection, even though they are not sleeping together, the Ruby and Miles. And he does this kind of pantomime of put a helmet on that soldier. <laughs> Which and I love. it is brilliant because, first off, that is not ASL. That is just really good pantomime. Yeah. And he's, Which is... Yeah. He actually pantomimes the ejaculation. Yep. <laughs> and the and, after effects. And, and Ruby poor, is dying. And poor she Miles, to who's die. obviously, let's face it, Miles is not that bright. Miles is just sitting there going, what? But when he gets it, yeah. as he says later, you know, he loves it. He thinks it's hilarious. He thinks it's both funny and he ends up telling his a friend of his about it. And, of course, it gets all over school yeah. and Ruby is furious at him. As she should be. And Yeah, because that, that was incredibly stupid of him. But as he points out, he says, I thought it was great. Your parents love each other yeah. so much. They're so crazy about that. I don't know what that's like. My parents hate each other. Yeah. His parents are, you know, clearly in the process of divorce, or should be. Yeah, and apparently. he's just—he's just in awe of the fact that she has parents who adore each other right. so much. Yeah, 
Um, the the person who played the father, do you have his name handy? Yeah. You know, the one who's not. Troy. Him. Troy Coetzer. Troy Coetzer. Okay. I don't know if he's done a lot of things in the past or anything, but. Not much. You know, people could, people could take the stance. I don't agree with it, but they could take the stance that his acting isn't as hard because he doesn't have to speak. I disagree. Oh I think God, that, it's much harder. Well, it's much more difficult. He has to do everything with his face and his body language, and he has to relate to people in different ways. And it's obvious that he thinks of his son and his daughter as very separate, different people. Um. And I think he does a great job. I've never seen him before, but I totally bought that he was a fisherman. Again, he looks like one. Um, all he you really need is the yellow slicker, and he could be selling uh, Gorton's of Gloucester. Yeah, he looks he looks very weather beaten. Yeah, I don't know if that's what he looks like in real life, but he looks like he should be living on a lobster boat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the son Leo mm-hmm. um, is cute, so I can understand the one girlfriend who throws herself at. Ruby's brother and of course poor Ruby's like ah no I'm not going to tell you how to sign things like that to him no yeah. um, and she, yeah, actually, she actually teaches her instead the sign for I have herpes as without telling to, her I think you're really hot which is, yeah and of course poor Leo's like what what why did she tell me that yeah yeah and he obviously is you know quite the ladies man I Leo yeah I think he wants to be I think he's just not had a lot of experience and i can't remember her gertie her name's gertie the the friend gertie uh Mm. who somehow works at a bar Um, well she says they are they're too stupid here to count to 21 yeah okay a high school kid working in a bar that's likely but whatever yeah um she's fine uh leo i think is he does a really good job too and especially there's a point where leo finally gets something to do and leo basically says they treat me like crap because you're doing all this stuff for them. I'm the older brother and I don't get to do anything. All of the business stuff and stuff, they rely on you. Nobody yeah. listens to me and I'm She's capable of doing her. these things. I'm never allowed is, to, to do yeah. what I need to do. I realize we're, this is jumping away from yeah. the acting a little. I want to get back to that. Well, but it's still that, the acting. But that's a major part. It's a major part of the story and it's very a very real thing. Yeah. The way, if there is one hearing child in the family... They do get treated differently, yeah. and it's a double-edged thing. On the one hand, they're kind of outsiders mm-hmm. because it's funny the the parallels between deaf community, the deaf community, and the immigrant communities are very strong. Right, because this happens a lot when you have first-generation immigrants who don't speak English. The children start growing up; they learn English in school. The parents still either won't learn it or can't or don't. And the child becomes the link to the outside world. It puts. And with, with deaf parents, it's even harder because, let's face it, if you have to, you can learn another language. Sure. You can't learn to hear no. if you're deaf. And they, it puts an unbelievable amount of pressure on the child because they have to be the line, the lifeline to the outside world, in effect. And right. the parent, that's one of the things that's very nice in this movie, but it's also not terribly realistic. I remember I saw... In my ASL class, I saw a movie, a similar situation. And there the family does not want to let the daughter go. Right. I mean, they hold on with, like, grim death. Yeah, we'll get to the plot. Um, mm. um, I'm going to go, I'm going to skip over Ruby real quick and go to the music teacher. I gather from your discussion and your trivia that you weren't a big fan of the music teacher. Oh, I liked him. Oh, okay. It's just he's kind of a cliche. 
However, I don't think he's alone. I will also but... say, yeah, yeah. The thing is, he's a cliche. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah, he is a obviously, you know, probably wanted to be a Broadway star or some such, and now teaches. Except he also says, "Do you know why I do this? Because I'm really good at it." Yeah, and he is. Yeah. He clearly is. I really liked him. He's the. He was a lot of fun. He is a cliche. I don't think there's a lot of depth there, which is a shame because they hint at some depth, but we never find out what the heck it is. Um. But he's the kind of teacher you actually always hope you have at some point. Yeah. It doesn't have to be music. It could be anything. It could have been English. It could have been math. The kind of teacher that's not only passionate about the subject and is not only technically capable of teaching it, but is passionate about teaching it to you. And it's very rare that you get that kind of teacher. Um, I'm, I had one. And it was very important for me because it was an art teacher in high school. It was an art teacher that basically opened my eyes to what art could be and made me start thinking about it a lot past the narrow definition that you have in public school. And he was very soft-spoken. He was not all crazy and, you know, whatever. But he, and it was a one, one four-and-a-half-week class in high school. That's it. But the fact that he was making us think in new ways and having us open our eyes was really important and, and did change my life a lot. And it was, I didn't realize it for years. So he represents this kind of teacher that we don't know that we want, but when we get them, we realize, Oh my God, this person made a huge difference in my life. Did you ever have a yeah. teacher like that? I had a couple. Yeah. Cool. I did in uh, both in high school and in college. But I also like the fact that there's points where he's telling her initially he, she, she's in choir. She, goes to choir because she likes this guy that's you know yeah, that's miles really the only... is in choir she wants to be around him yeah otherwise she sings on the boat because nobody can hear her and she can be as loud as she wants and nobody cares I but love... she's terrified of singing in front of people right because she's always sung in front of people who can't hear her I she doesn't know if she's any good the dad loves gangster rap <laughs> yes that is true by the way a lot of deaf people like music that have very heavy bass yeah. because they can feel they can't hear the music but they can feel it yeah they can feel, you can feel the rhythm in your chest right Listen to the rhythm. <laughs> Sorry, that's a that's a. This deeper. is why you will you can see get deaf dancers. Yeah, they can feel they can feel the rhythm. Uh, a friend of mine in grad school had an had an issue. One of his students was deaf, and he was teaching a poetry class, and he he was trying to figure out how to explain metrics meter in poetry to the student because the student didn't know what it meant. The rhythm, the 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 way that the words are supposed to sound, and. The closest he would do is he would have the student, he'd point, look at, look at the poem on the page, he'd point at it with a pencil, and as he was moving to the words, he would tap his hand on the student's back where the rhythm points were. Mm. And that's how the kid figured out the metrics, but he could, it just it didn't work. It couldn't mm. work for him. And it's, very, it's incredibly painful to realize that. Mm. Lastly, we have ostensibly the star of the movie, which is Ruby. Yeah. The only thing I have against her performance, her voice is remarkably good for somebody in high school. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that people can't be that good, it, but we have a my little... My problem, again, and this is a thing that Hollywood does. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, she's the outcast. She's this stunningly pretty... You know, she works on a fishing trailer. Her skin is flawless. Somehow. Her Somehow her hair is perfect. 
Well, it's, it has that freshly tousled look. Like, yes. oh, I just tossed my head and it happened to go into a position that looks really good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, she would be an outcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she wouldn't be have all the boys flocking around her. Certainly not. Yeah, especially pale Mr. Clueless Miles. Um, but other than that, I find her totally believable. She has great yeah. energy. Um, I You can tell that the character loves her family she really does but is just realizing there's other things in the world that she might like to do and of course we get a scene where she and her mom are having trouble because her mother's like oh music's just that's that's ridiculous there's no point wasting time in that and of course to her it's something she can't share with her daughter so i'm sure it's frustrating on some level but all of the characters feel very separate but also very much like they belong together and so I will say that they're they, all distinctive. Yeah, yeah, very distinct. And I, there's no, the only cliche I've got for the characters here is again, is like, what, what me, a perfect singing voice? You, you mean me? I mean, if she turned out to be a princess, I'd have been like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to admit, again, I really like, I like the plot. I like the story. I question how she would have gotten into Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music. With yeah. no formal training, yeah. one performance yeah. and one audition. Yeah, I mean, okay, I don't, I do not know. I have never applied to anything, but the Berkeley College of Music, even I know that place. That place is world famous. Yeah, the competition is mind-boggling. It ain't Juilliard, but it ain't far behind. Right. And I, I found out because one of my favorite singer-songwriters went to Berkeley, and, oh. and I saw her in concert at one point playing at Berkeley. She said, yeah, it's nice to be back, although only 60% actually graduate from there. Hey, <laughs> so most, well, and sometimes it's a good thing because what happens is they learn yeah. what they need to do. They get a job or they get it, you know, they're in the industry doing their thing, and they're like, well, I don't need to finish college, so they don't. Oh, okay. But that also you know, speaks to probably how hard it is to be at Berkeley at all. Um, I will also like to point out in a very rare occurrence, and I do mean rare, it's actually Boston. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I do. There's one moment where the dad is like, okay, you get out. I'll go park. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's adorable. You think you're going to park anywhere around there? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see dad in about eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's so rare that they say, you know, yeah. like the end of the terrible Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds, like, we made it to Boston. It's like, no. No, you didn't. You made <laughs> well, it to Vancouver. Or National <laughs> Treasure. Oh, look, Old North Church. It's like, look, it's a four-lane highway right next to Old North Church. Sure, yeah, there's plenty yeah. of wide streets in Boston. Yeah, um, and that was, at least for the exterior shot, that was the Berkeley College of Music. Part I of it, yes. about the inside, yeah. That was the outside, yeah. Yep, so that was actually nice. Um, I always am happy when I see my actual hometown in the movie as opposed to... And today, Boston will be played by a northern Canadian town that you've never heard <laughs> of. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, the performances all around are really good. They really are. They are just phenomenal. Um, Let, I can see why, if you look across... I was looking at some of the other awards that have been won for this. You know, uh, Marley Matlin won the BAFTA Award for Best Supporting Actress... And uh, Amelia Jones, uh, she's been nominated, I think, for the SAG for Best Actress. She didn't get nominated for the Oscar. I but, arguably uh, think she did as well, if not better, than some of the other younger actors who've been nominated yeah, for that award. I, I, I think so. I think she's got somewhere to go. 
Um, she, she really portrays that conflict. You were saying you can really tell she loves her family, but she also realizes what an incredible burden right. they have placed on her. Right. And the whole th- that the family, you know, they always the family sticks together. The family comes first. Yep. Everything has to be. I, even in the little things, like when they're sitting at the dinner table and they tell her she can't listen to her music because it's rude, <laughs> even though it's not like she can't hear them, but they're perfectly fine with go- watching Leo go through his Tinder profile and <laughs> helping him go, you know, you should swipe. She looks nice. And she she's like, why is it okay to do Tinder at the table but not my music? She, and the mother, very matter-of-factly, is... Tinder is for the whole family. I disagree. I don't think it is, but okay. I mean, could have been worse. Could have been Grinder. That would have been awkward. Well, fine, whatever. You know, oh, I can't really. I, I mean, Grinder. What's that? Uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, you know, and seeing it is nice to see a happy, functioning family for a change. Because more often than not, we don't. But I will say there are some parts of this film in the story that are familiar, (laughs) um, (laughs) perhaps overly familiar. And I know I'm going to get hate mail for this. So that so she's unpopular at school. Okay, fine. We're doing that. That high school stuff, the typical high school teasing crap, which we've seen. Let's see. Fourteen thousand two hundred and thirty six times before. I'd say 237, but sure. Oh, yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah. Um, she's a little weird. She's not. She works on a fishing boat. So, okay, so sometimes she, she doesn't smells shower. smells fish a lot. Right, which I can see why she'd be made fun of by the, the, the bad girls, whatever. The mean girls, yeah. And she has, she has to get up at 3 in the morning to go out on the fishing boat. She keeps falling asleep in class. Right, which is understandable. why wouldn't you? Yeah. And, of course, her family's poor on top of that, so... Okay, you know, I don't have a dress to and, wear to the ball. And she's very she's very clearly, you know, self-conscious about that when anybody comes over to the house. She's very self-conscious, although I thought the house looked really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a typical salt box, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's obviously an older house. Um, she's got one of those rooms. It's like, oh, square angle, right angles. We don't know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she falls in love with this guy at school and i'm looking at the rest of the the class that she she's in when we see that she's interested in this kid and i'm like you're picking that one uh, he's paler than some of the fish you catch he's <laughs> very pale yeah <laughs> i mean he seems nice and i'm glad that miles the, and the kid who plays miles is fine um i'm glad that he ends up being a good kid he does mm-hmm. make that one big dumb mistake but quite honestly when we find out how bright Miles is, not very, it actually seems probably likely he would do something like that. And he wasn't doing it mean-spiritedly. He just no. didn't understand, oh, other people will use this against her. Yeah. Um, it did. Yeah, apparently, yeah, this is the not bright part. It did not occur to him, oh, if I tell another teenager something, I'm sure it will be kept in confidence. Yeah, especially if it's, and if it's funny. And it was a funny story. The, yeah, if it's funny and it's about sex, of course he's going to tell people. It is one of the funniest scenes in the film. I died watching the father explain things. It was so yeah, cringy yeah. and so funny <laughs> at the same time. Yep. And it's obvious that the parents are like, in some ways you could say they must be very old-fashioned because he works on a fishing boat they live in an old house they're deaf so they don't have access to as much culture as other people but they're very open people they're like oh our daughter is interested in somebody we should talk to her about safe sex so let's talk to her Mm -hmm. and the father he has this expression that is kind of 
kind of resting bitch face. And so <laughs> when the kid's sitting there, the father's sort of looking at him. You kind, He's worried, which he should be. But the father's just like, okay, so what are your intentions? And of course, at that mm. point, I'm surprised Miles doesn't pee himself because he's got that expression. <laughs> but then yeah. the guy's just like, look, we just want you to be safe. We know this is going to happen. We're not dumb. That's the, it was so nice that it wasn't the cliche of the father suddenly going into, ah, you not touch daughter. Ah. Yeah. And also just the fact that they're two parents are doing it at the drop of hat. <laughs> it's nice. And, it's nice. And it is. And the thing I like is they are not at all embarrassed. No. They're not ashamed. They don't nope. apologize. Nope. It's just like, oh, okay, I didn't know you were home. Who knows what the neighbors think? Because well. <laughs> <laughs> it's the middle of the day. It's during Scooby-Doo. Whenever. All of a sudden, hunka, 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 hunka. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so we've got all of these cliches too. We've got the unpopular in school. We've got, oh, and she just happens to have an amazing singing voice. I'm willing to believe that she can sing because yeah. it's obvious she has been doing so on the boat to help pass the time. But she has one of the those voices you listen to and it's like, that's not just somebody singing in the car. That's no, that's, that's a remarkable voice. Although as Mr. Villa Lobos, which is one of the greatest names in this movie, it's a Vila House of Lobos. Wolves. House of Wolves. <laughs> I want to change my name to Villa Lobos. Max Villa Lobos. <laughs> Go right ahead. Yeah. Anyway, he, as he says, you have a great voice. You have no discipline. Yeah. But you have a great voice, and it's like, yes, you can. There are absolutely people with naturally great singing voices. We know this. Hell, I think Mariah Carey started out that way. I don't know how much training she had until she broke glass. Um, well, yeah, but they can. But I also like what don't... he says about. The voice itself, she's like, he said, do you have anything to say? Bob Dylan, you know what David Bowie said about Bob Dylan's voice? Oh, yeah. Sand and glue. So, <laughs> but Bob Dylan had something to say. And I actually really appreciate that because I don't have a particularly pleasant singing voice, but I do love to sing. And I'm like, well, I got something to say. And I sound at least as bad as Bob Dylan. So now I have hope. Um, but and and I like she that starts he calling her Bob. I love that he calls her Bob. Um <laughs> And I like that he, the way he draws the voice out is through her anger. Yeah. It's like, what is, she talks, you know, when, when I went, came to school first, people made fun of me because I talked wrong. Right. And this also happens to children of deaf adults. They don't, they don't have, they don't have the examples of, spo of, of verbal speech. Right. So they end up talking like the so-called so deaf speak. Right. Which is, I was surprised that she never gave into. Because he's yeah. trying to get her to do it. It's like, okay, what does it sound like? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you know, no, I don't know. Tell yeah, me. She won't do it. She's too embarrassed. The movie won't do it. And I'm actually yeah. appreciative that the movie doesn't do it. But he does get her worked up. He figures out something she's angry enough about that she can finally unclench and let go. And I also did appreciate that her performance on that is not perfect. It's got a lot of energy and emotion to it. But at that point, her voice cracks a little because she's pissed. And that, yeah, and she's not breathing properly, right. and she doesn't have the the right power. She doesn't have enough power behind it. Right. And you know, I I, I know it was kind of, it was kind of you know heartstring plucking, but when <laughs> she is at Juilliard, uh, Berkeley, not Juilliard, Berkeley, she's at Berkeley, 
and she's singing her audition piece, which for some reason is Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. Sure. No, it's, a, it's a nice song. It's just, I thought he said you have to know a classical piece, and I'm sorry, we're, I am not that old yet. Joni Mitchell <laughs> does not count as classical music yet, well, okay? All the music he teaches is from the 70s. All yes, of it. Yes, he loves <laughs> or, it. He loves it. Yeah, I know. Which always gets, because when I hear choir, I always assume, you know, Glory unto God, or you know, hooray for Jesus. No, or let's something. get it on. That's the let's first piece. Let's get it on. They're singing Barry White, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that's great. I guess I'm just like, really? Yeah, okay. no, choir has become all sorts of other stuff now. No, just the but, idea that the parents are okay with their kids singing Let's Get It On and the choir. Yeah, yeah, I wondered about that, but. Yeah. You notice they don't. Well, no, they do. Do they perform that one? Uh, or, do they just, or do they just practice? I it? can't remember, but I think they did. Yeah. Um, so but, she, she's, she's doing her performance yeah. bit, as you were doing saying. Her performance, and she start, her parents have snuck in because, quite reasonably, I think, during the audition period, you're not allowed to have your family there. Right. And, you know, because God knows what happens. But they sneak into the balcony, and as she's singing, she starts signing the song. Right. And I'm sorry, I, that's one of my, the most beautiful moments in the movie. I really liked that. It was very feels. Um, yes. I, I actually wrote lots of feels at the audition. Yeah. Um, however, we have some other things going on. Um, so at one point, Leo just happens to get into a bar fight because we have to see yeah. the locals picking on the deaf kid because, okay, fine. Um, the teacher just happens to pick the one student in the class that she's got the hots for to do the duet with. Yeah, that's a little bit uh, okay. We get it. Um, okay, the family also happens. There happens to be a new law being enacted that not only will directly affect the family, but basically means that they can't do fishing anymore because they're going to have to pay for a uh, a monitor on the boat, which will actually cost as much, if not more, than their daily catch. So there's a lot of things going on here. And of course, we also can tell, I mean, one of my earliest notes is that we know at some point she's going to have to give up the choir, which does yeah. in fact happen. Um, the plot points are kind of like breadcrumbs. I don't think there was a single one that I didn't see coming. Um, you know, there just wasn't any point where a little kid came out and goes, yeah, yeah, he's good. Otherwise, it's Hansel <laughs> and Gretel the whole way. Um, I will say it's nicely shot. The photography is nice. Um, it's very pretty to look at. I felt like we were on a boat. Uh, I could almost smell the fish, and I'm sitting because we we you know were on a boat. They shot most of, all of those scenes on an actual fishing trawler. I meant we as an audience. Ah, <laughs> I was not on a boat when I watched this. I don't know about you. For me, it's called I a sofa. Was. I was on a boat <laughs> as always. Totally. Max is lying. <laughs> um, so I will give it that, and it's it's very pretty. Um, it just. When we get to the wrap-up, the story points I just wanted to, to make a, a notion of. Um, I liked some of the things that, some of the things surprised me. There were some points, like, I was sure that we were going to, Miles was going to have a jealous girlfriend who we were going to have some horrible confrontation scene, you know, stay away from my boyfriend. I'm like, oh. oh, nope, nothing. Okay, good. Yeah. Because that, again, is another teen kind of cliche that we get. Yeah. And there was no big blow up with the mean girl. The mean girl is just awful to her, uh, as are her friends. And it stays that way. And that's high school. That yeah. That just, just sort is. of happens. It's just, 
and I know we haven't got past this. I'm sure high school, well, Max and I actually didn't suffer through this sort of thing, but we know that most people do. Um, And I'm sure that there's still this sort of thing going on in high schools across the country. It's just that there was literally nothing new. It it was the, the most cliched things that were going to go wrong with her popularity in high school were the things. The only thing they don't do is dump pig's blood on her, but you know, I'll give them that. Um, the fact that uh, spoiler she gets into Berkeley is questionable. <laughs> uh, the fact that Miles blows it is that was interesting. I thought the fact that because he does is he says I choked. Yeah, he doesn't make excuses. He just says, "Yeah, I choked. I'm not. I'm not going to Berkeley." And of course, she must have got a scholarship because there's no way they could have paid for it. So, she, oh yeah, there's no question. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to do our talking points? We still have room for some notes if you have some, but do you want to get to our uh, our final I, 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 talking points? I did have a couple of the things that there are two, there are actually three scenes in here I find, apart from the audition, really moving and really beautiful. One is with Ruby and her mom. Toward the end, you know, she's bought her the dress and she, and Ruby asks her, do you ever wish I was deaf, that I had been born deaf? And she answers her so honestly. And she says, when you were born, yeah. When they told me you were hearing, I was disappointed. Yeah. And well, she actually says, I prayed that you were deaf. Prayed you were deaf, yeah. yeah. Because she was afraid that if one of them was deaf and one of the was, wasn't, they wouldn't be close. Because apparently, it's only hinted at, but she actually says she's not close to her mother. Right. Who obviously is hearing. And then Ruby responds with, no, no, don't worry. You're a terrible mother for other reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Which again, perfect response. And it's just so adorable because it's so clear how much she loves her. And just watching Ruby, who has been like trying to be fiercely independent, just curl up in her lap. Yeah. Is just so sweet. That, and when Leo finally, you know, loses it and just tells her, this family was better before you came along. Yeah. Because, yeah, because... We're not at that. We're not helpless. You treat us like we're helpless. Mm. You were always so worried we would look stupid. Yeah, and he's right. I'm sure she was. You can tell that that's true. Yeah, and it's very painful. And that after she gives the performance with the choir, and her father asks her to sing to him. Right, and he's putting his fingertips on her throat yes. so he can feel the vibrations, and he can read her lips to know what she's singing. I thought that was incredibly touching. That was the Pixar moment. <laughs> so, but talking points. Yeah. Does this movie feel like it was made for streaming or would it have felt as easily at home in the theater? I think it would have worked in the theater, especially the scenes on the boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's supposed to be some scale there. Now, interestingly, this film only has twice the budget of last week's film, uh, Deep House. And <laughs> the thing is, it, we talked about Deep House. Deep House's production values were surprisingly high. Yeah. I gotta say, for $10 million, they got a bargain in this film. Yeah. They, um, you got, they got their money's worth, because the movie looks really good. I'm so, sure yeah, Boston I think it would have been just... $7 million. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, it was in most of it was in. That's true. I think uh, probably two million just went to her for parking in Boston. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think this would have worked on the big screen. But would seeing this movie on the big screen add anything? In some ways, I think it would have. I think it would have made the sound, the songs, uh, more effective, and the sequ- Oddly, the sequence 
during the concert where her family is there and just suddenly we shift perspective and the movie goes silent and we're seeing it from the, from the parents' perspective and hearing nothing and realizing the only way they can tell what's happening or how she's doing is by watching the reactions of the people around them. Mm. And you realize this must be so incredibly boring for her family <laughs> to sit there and basically just watch these people stand on stage doing nothing. Yeah. I thought that's, and I think that would have worked very well on the big screen. I'm going to disagree. I don't honestly huh? think that seeing it in the theater would have added anything. And one of the reasons is because of the way I watched the film. I watched it with headphones. And when the moment came during that concert where they cut the sound, I, of course, had headphones on. And it, you know, I wasn't hearing ambient noise around me that much because of the headphones. So in a way, I got more out of it. And if I had had the noise cancellation on it, it would have been even almost claustrophobic. There's nothing visually that really says expansiveness. Um, Not even the quarry scenes? No, the quarry scenes... I mean, to be fair, I have a pretty big TV, but eh, there's nothing that says to me, I I don't feel I missed anything by not seeing this in a theater. And again, in a way, because I had headphones on, I, I think I gained a little something. Um, but that's just me. Uh, if, if it had been in the theater, sure, it, it would have been fine. I, I just don't think that I missed it. Unlike some of the films in our series where it's like, damn, I wish this had been in the theaters. This is not one that I think I'm losing anything by having watched it at home. Okay. So... Do you have any other notes, or should we get to the big surprise? No, I think I, uh, I do remember, one thing I do remember when she was up there doing the audition, all I'm thinking is, stop fidgeting. <laughs> and that was, because that's absolutely believable. That's yeah. what a lot of people, especially people who have not been formally trained and haven't done this a lot, they do. They move their hands, they shift their weight, and it's the worst thing you can do, because it's incredibly distracting, and it looks very amateurish. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think I think I covered it. Okay. The roundup. So Max. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> what did Big you think? Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Coda? I really liked it. I admit it's there's some manipulation in it. You can tell where it's like, okay, get a hold of this heartstring, yoink. But. I really like it. I think the performance is terrific. I love I love the fact that the deaf characters are played by deaf people because they can carry stuff off that hearing people cannot do. They there's body language, there's positioning, there's facial stuff that you can't do if you're as you can't pretend to be a deaf person if you're not deaf. And I, I not, they not only got good deaf actors, they got really good deaf actors. Mm. And uh, I I I do think the story hits a lot of very familiar beats. I do. I think some of the songs, like the the song she sings in the duet with Miles, that she then sings for her father, some of the lines are a little on the nose. With like, "I'll sacrifice for you, dedicate my life to you." Yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah, ouch. Mm. But I I really liked it. I thought it was very very warm and very believable. Mm. Apart from the fact that she would never have gotten into Berkeley anyway. <laughs> What about you? Well, what well, did you but think? Before I get to me, I have one other question. Yeah. What do you think about this being nominated for Best Picture? I'm fine with it. I mean, I haven't seen a lot. I don't think I've seen a lot of the other nominees. And apart from the fact that Swan Song did not get nominated, yeah. uh, I have no problem with this uh, being nominated. I think this is a terrific film. What about you? Thank you. Uh, it has some, it, it is very nice. 
It has some very good performances in it. There are the feels moments. And I'm going to go a little bit further than Max and say they are very well orchestrated. Um, even though we know they're coming, because we do, there is nothing surprising about this film. There is nothing we haven't seen before, except for the relationship of deaf parents with a non uh, with a hearing child. Okay, that part's new, but the situation itself is really nothing new. Like, oh no, parents and and, and kids don't get along and or don't understand each other. Well, you know, surprise. I found it a little heavy-handed, especially just the cliches. Like, oh, she's unpopular in school, and they don't like her because she's different and poor. And okay. And she gets into Berkeley and the family business is saved. I mean, it really is kind of a fairy tale and a princess fairy tale at that. It's nicely told. Again, the performances, I think, are all good. Uh, I think we, in a way, we miss out. There's some things that they spend a little bit more time on they wish they hadn't, like the whole fish co-op thing. I would have been happy if they had dumped that part of the plot and we learned a little bit more about the people around her. There's this one scene where she goes, she's late, and she wants to still work uh, with the teacher, uh, Mr. House of Wolves. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a prequel to to Game of Thrones, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. And he says, look, I have a lot of things going on in my own life right now. And we can see in the background, there's actually a bunch of kids toys, which we haven't noticed before. And it's like, okay, what's that about? Well, I think we see a woman with a child later, later, who I think is supposed to be his family. But we don't really know. We know nothing. And it's too bad because I would like to have known a little bit more about him. We only know anything about Miles because he literally tells us. And I appreciate him going, oh man, you got it so lucky. You've got a perfect family. And she's like, are you insane? And he's like, no, you have people who like each other and get along and like care about what I'm doing. And my parents couldn't care less. So I, I appreciate that, but it's just nothing in this film to me stood out as being fresh, a new take on an old cliche yeah. about being particularly differently told. I personally wouldn't choose it as a best picture. Now, to be fair, again, I also don't know what it's up against, but there's nothing in this film that just says to me, this is really outstanding in what it's trying to do. I think what it does very well. I think it's nice. It is very manipulative, but I don't feel anything that we haven't seen before. Well, I would I would strongly disagree with that last part. Tell me something. How many other movies about adult children of deaf adults have you seen? But here's the thing. The situation with them is no different than a lot of other films. Oh, they don't get along. There's something about the child that has to stay in the family business. It's not a question of not getting along. It's this bizarre dependence that is, in many ways, unique. The fact that it's deaf parents is unique, but the situation of the family needing the child to stay for the family business or to continue on what they're doing, that's not. Um, again, I really like their performances. I really like the fact that we've given something for deaf folks to do. I just wish it had been something newer or something, a different take besides that, because all of the plot points to me were things we've seen before. Now, does this mean I'm not recommending this film? No. In a world full of unnice, we need all the nice we can get. It's a lovely film. I just don't think I wouldn't put it on a top 10 list. I wouldn't put it on a, um, best picture list. 
I've seen other films that had my attention better that I didn't know what was going to happen, that I was pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised. And this film did not surprise me at all. So, okay. But, well, gonna, we'll have to disagree on that yeah, one. Yeah. Which means that we're not going to do any more streaming in a room near you. Because... Well, yes, because the series is actually over. But first... But first... If you would tell people not only what the poll question was, but how they can answer our poll question, I'm sure yes. even Bumpy would appreciate it. Well, in that case, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> he hates uh, yes, Bumpy. in your experience, is, is there a perfect movie musical? Movie musical. It can be based on a stage show, but we're just talking about the filmed version. One that has no... Bad songs, no dead spots. Cats. If if Sorry. so, I, I said no deaf spots. Not oh. not all dead spots. Oh, that is one big. That musical is one big dead spot. Yeah, that sorry. Movie is. Memory is a weird thing. Memory. <laughs> the song that goes on and on and on and on. Aren't you lucky you got to We're ready singer. for Broadway. <laughs> Max said to tell And us. you can, of course, as answer this poll question about musicals, preferably not about cats, but you can either email us at us at maxmikemovies.com or you can go to the website of the same name, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment. You can find us on the mediated socialness of medias on the Facebook or the Twitter under Max Mike Movies. You can find us on... Uh, your, your podcast app of your choice or the podcast app of someone else's choice. You know who I mean. <laughs> Those people. <laughs> yep. But, as I have said, we have come to the end of this series, which means the show's over. Go home. No, it means we're going starting a new series next week. And yes, right here, right here on our show, we're going, ladies and gentlemen, The Beatles! Yes, we are going to be talking about movies about, by, or just inspired by the Fab Four, the lads from Liverpool, the Crumpets and Pastries, the I, I don't know what else they were called. But I'm sure they weren't called that. <laughs> I'm sure they were. I, there was an entire album that never got published that I only I have ever heard of called Crumpets and Pastries. Don't dispute me. Uh, yes, you. the Beatle about John Paul George. Sartre. Groucho, Chico, Larry, Mo, <laughs> and Gummo. <laughs> the Beatles. We are going to talk about movies, Beatles, Beatles movies, because nothing is Beatle proof. And in that vein, Mike, what? which of the fabulous Beatles and Beatles related movies are we starting with? Help! I really What's need wrong, somebody. Mike? Oh. Help! Well, anybody? Help! I think we'll watch. But I um, think you're trying to say in your rather squeaky way. Help? Is we're going to watch help. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. So join us and give us a little help. Help! Because we need to get by with a little help from our friends. And Bumpy the Wonder Pony. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.